Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Retro Futurist Podcast. I'm your host, Optimus. Tonight I have a very, very, very special guest. He is a legend, and he's amazing, and he's a great friend. We have the awesome, amazing host of Ruminations Radio Network, Ruminations from the Red Rooms, himself mitch proctor <laughs> dude uh, hi thanks <laughs> I, sometimes he goes back. by cyber mitch That's cyber mitch tonight yes <laughs> um i got mitch on we were talking about some topics in the retro futurist world um futurism cyberpunk it all kind of runs together and we talked about the fifth element and how we both really enjoyed that film so we took a little side detour and we both watched the movie and we're here to talk about it and maybe see if we can uh, open some other people's minds up to this great film most most people that are listening to this probably have watched it if you haven't watched it there's going to be crazy amounts of spoilers yes you might want to watch it first then come back and listen to the episode but anyway Mitch, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm really excited to do this with you, and thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm stoked. I love this movie. I'm really excited to talk about it with you. Yeah, um, I was I was really uh, really excited that you uh, when I asked you if you wanted to come on the show, if you had any things you wanted to talk about, and you brought this like you uh, you're like let me think about it, and then you know a little bit later you're like oh Fifth Element. I was like yes, let's do it. I love that movie. <laughs> I haven't watched it in a while, and I needed a good reason to watch it, and the other day I had that perfect opportunity where nobody was home and I could crank up the surround sound nice. and watch it the right way. Cause that movie has really good sound, especially if you have the second gen Blu-ray or the latest 4k that has the Atmos on it. It, it sounds great. Um, I was really worried when I, when I mentioned it, that it might not fit in. Like it was a, just kind of like a, uh, almost subliminal one that came up to me. But then as going back to it, I think I found more things that really fit with the retro futures culture. Yeah, I think um, so. Part of my vision with this, uh, with retro futures culture is, you know, we're talking about art as a message to kind of wake people up to, humanity's downfall and yeah you know as a species we we tend to hurt each other a lot and uh, a lot of the themes of the things we're going to talk about on this podcast are shows movies books where that's happening and the reason it's all out there is there's a lot of us that that want to see that stop or maybe slow it down or maybe just get people to think a little bit like Maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe um, we could be better. Maybe we could be better. It makes for a hell of an entertainment, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what we got lined up today, The Fifth Element, a film by Luc Besson. Uh, he is a great director. I have not seen all of his movies, but there's a, quite a few of his movies, and especially from this era that I just love. Like, I love the original La Femme Nikita. Mm-hmm. Uh, his movie, I love Leon the Professional. Yes. Uh, I love The Fifth Element. Um, I love, there was another one from that era that I really loved too. Um, so many, I mean, he his early career was, was just amazing. And I'm not saying he's not um, still 
killing it out there but you know as you age your style changes and uh as we age our <laughs> appreciation for things is different right sure so nikita leon um fifth element was great he did the messenger story of joan arc yeah i didn't love it i didn't hate it oh i loved it i thought it was fantastic that was yeah. just right after this though wasn't it right after yeah 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 um had he and, and he and and Mila were already together at that point. Yeah, but they weren't together very long. Huh. But but yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And I I have not seen Lucy yet. Um, oh, you got to see, need to see that one. Yeah. Um, really I cool. did see Valerian in a City of a Thousand Planets, and yeah. I liked it, but I had some issues with that that I'm not going to talk about <laughs> here. Sure. Um, saw it, and I'm with you. But mostly because I want to talk about how much I love uh, the Fifth Element. Yes. So, um, Fifth Element. What was your first? I mean, it was 1997. This was right before, right before Matrix, right before Star Wars comes back. I would say this is like probably the first really big sci-fi movie in a while, maybe since Independence Day. Um, what was Independence Day? 96? Something, Something like that. It, it kind of started to be exciting. Yeah, 95, 94, 95. I just mean like, I just remember going like, whoa, cool, like something big. Maybe Alien 4 yeah. was right before mm. Fifth Element, but I didn't really like that one either. <laughs> <laughs> um, And I got to say, when I first saw the poster and their previews, I wasn't exactly super excited. I don't know why. I think I was... I was kind of, I'm not going to lie, I was in a straight up like movie art snob era. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. Hey man, we go through those phases. Everyone's gone through it. Right. Um, but when I finally saw the movie, it really won me over. Um, and I think for me, it was because of the feel of like a live action version of the magazine heavy metal which yeah. in france was metal hurlant which is where a lot of this was based off of luc besson as a kid loved that magazine and it's screams it when you uh watch the movie yeah i think um i when i saw it i think the initial impression of like the trailers maybe maybe it was the movie posters it didn't grab me either right off the bat um but when i went i saw it at the theater that was on grant in tucson over there on grant <laughs> next to the i-10 remember that theater yep, that's the one i saw that too yeah that's right yes <laughs> it was high speed but yeah but immediately upon watching it i was really enthralled i was like wow it had been a while since i'd seen something quite so imaginative and so bold i really really had a great time yeah i i remember just yeah i had a blast and uh it was just a fun ride didn't um, do too well in the states though i think or it, like really like didn't really hit big box office wise until later just making money on video I think it really blew up on DVD. That was yeah. right. It literally dropped like the year DVD players hit the market. Uh -huh. um, and the DVD player, I got my first DVD player in 98. <laughs> Fifth Element came out in 97. I got my first DVD player in 98. And I want to say Fifth Element was probably one of the first 10 discs I got. And the nice. first DVD release of it wasn't that great. They did a, um, only because, you know, new tech. Yeah. 
the super bit version that came later was a lot nicer and I, I upgraded to that. Um, but yeah, it's funny how when you get a new video format sometimes, at least at that time, um, and the same thing happened with Blu-ray. It's funny. Blu-ray first came out. Fifth Element was one of the first Blu-rays, but it also suffered from being one of the first Blu-rays mm -hmm. on release. And the very first version of the Blu-ray was so bad that Sony was replacing them for free with a better version. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, I have the second version of the Blu-ray that has um, the Dolby True HD mm -hmm. sound. And then there was a third version, which is the 4K UHD and Blu-ray that has Atmos on That's it. That's what I just got. Yeah, yeah. That one's really good, too. I have the... I, have the, I went and got the True HD one uh, when I upgraded to Blu-ray. Because I remember reading when the Blu-ray first came out that the image, the image was really like it didn't look much better than the Super Bit. I saw screenshots of the Super Bit DVD versus the first version of the Blu-ray, and it was hard to tell the difference. Yeah, and that's because when Blu-ray first came out, there was a lot of learning how to encode that video format correctly because it was a different animal compared to DVD. But a lot of the studios were trying to treat it like DVD, and it didn't work the same way. The sci-fi always seems to lead the way when it comes to uh, new formats. It's like a great place to kind of showcase. Those yeah, new there's formats, another though. there's another video uh, that kind of leads formats, but we'll just leave that out of this okay. for now. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think I think you're right. I mean, if you look at like VHS, really took off when like Terminator One or something hit VHS, and that's okay. when the sales of VHS shot up like crazy. Hmm. So um, when you release a good movie that people like to watch again in the highest quality they can get at the time, you, you see it, you see it push the market. Speaking of which, we're definitely going to have a, a Terminator episode. <laughs> it's going to be the, the Optimus version of the Terminator timeline though, which is very, very truncated. Uh, it's really only two movies. Okay. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so back to uh, Fifth Element. So, yeah, I, you know, when I first saw it, it was like, wow, that was nuts. And I think I went and saw it again like a week later nice. uh, at the theater. And uh, like I, I took my mom to check it out. And uh, it's funny because she doesn't – she was like, I don't really like Bruce Willis, but she really liked the movie. Huh. Um, and, uh, yeah. McClane, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like McClane in space in this. Kind of. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I had forgotten that there's that little, there's so many, it's, the movie's just layered with so much stuff and it yeah. moves kind of fast in the beginning that if you, it's almost like Ferris Bueller, if you blink, you're going to miss it. Uh -huh. Um, You know, the movie starts and he, it's, it's, well, the, the opening scene, right? We're in 1917 in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Right. And this guy's trying to transcribe some runes and some pyramid looking structure structure. And it's about a warrior that will save the world against darkness. And he's transcribing this. And uh, all of a sudden we have a giant spaceship show up. <laughs> I think that like right off the bat that like is built in retro future. When you have a sci-fi movie that starts in 1914, 1917, like, Dude, hundred percent agreed. In. Built yeah. in. No, there's yeah, there's at this point we've already crossed two timelines. Yeah. We're in. And it just gets better from there. Uh the best part is is we have Jason Priestley. No. 
Luke no, Perry. Luke, Luke, Luke Perry. I got confused with the uh, the actors from that show. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it. 90210. 90210. <laughs> I couldn't remember what it was called. Um, yeah, we got we got Luke Perry in there, and we've got um, the guy that plays uh, Ian Holmes, who plays yeah. freaking Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, rest um, in peace. Yeah. He's great in this movie too. Yeah. And they're transcribing these runes. Giant spaceship shows up. These aliens come and they, he's trying to read this puzzle and they come and the aliens, you know, he is (laughs) supposed to help safeguard the earth and teach uh, this ritual to his apprentice about how to prepare earth for the warrior when they need it. And the aliens say, we don't have time. We have to get, the stones and they come and open the door and they get the stones out, but they leave him the key. Um, we'll be back later. <laughs> we'll be back. Right. And that's where the movie kicks off. And then we fast forward 300 something years. Can I ask the you a real quick question not, about that though? Before yeah. you, They say war is coming. Now, is that when they're in the, the, uh, when they open up the door and they say, we got to get the stones, we're rolling. Was that in reference to war on Earth and the stones weren't safe there because World War One was on its way? World War Two? You do that think- is a good question. I didn't even think of that. When I when they said war is coming, I thought they meant like for them. war with another alien species yeah. with the um, those almost toad face looking guys, the Melkelians. <laughs> what are they called? Oh, I don't know what those guys are called. Mandoshawans are the the good guys yeah. that look like they're from Bioshock or something. Yeah, um, yeah, that's an you know what, and that, I mean, what's the timeline? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look this up. What is the timeline of World War One? Because I just thought I, that, that was kind of what they were doing was keeping them safe, and then because the uh, the uh, the archaeologist guy asked them, it's like, are you German? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because the Nazis, they're the uh, Germans. That they weren't the Nazis yet; they were just the Germans. Yeah. So World War One officially was. July 28th, 1914 to November 11th, uh-huh. 1918. So the war was almost over at the time. I want, maybe it was like a galactic hmm. civil war. Okay. Either way, we fast forward, we go 300 years. <laughs> and. Oh, you know what it says in 1914? Maybe you're right. The Mondo Schwans meet their human contact. Uh, the only weapon capable of defeating a great evil, which appears every 5,000 years. They promise to return their weapon before the evil's great emergence. And then in 2263, the great evil appears, which is only about 250 years later. Oh. 350 years later. Um, and that's where our movie starts. And we see this giant sphere it's like uh it's a great way to depict i felt like evil in a form that you can't it's not it's not tangible sure right that's like the ultimate cosmic evil yeah there's 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 no reasoning with this thing yeah um it's just like a force and the world united government tries to fire weapons at it that doesn't work that just makes it angry 
just makes it angry. <laughs> and then the I'm gonna say their names wrong again. The Mandashawan are coming to Earth with the stones. They know that the the evil's there. They're coming to help us, and they get attacked by the frog face aliens. Yeah. And uh, they're working for uh, Jean Emmanuel Zorg, <laughs> who's working for the Great Evil. And that's Gary Oldman's character, right? And uh, he plays the perfect, like, evil corporate <laughs> scumbag. Super With a Texan guy. accent, surprisingly, like a strange Texan accent. Yeah, it's, it's a weird Southern, uh, yeah, like big wig corporate magnate draw yeah and this and it was it was interesting because the last movie i had actually seen him in was leon the professional so i I don't think i think there was uh that was the last one i had seen him in i know he's done movies between but for me it was like i went from seeing him in leon the professional where he's the corrupt cop that's doing all the coke to now the corrupt um (laughs) <laughs> corporate scumbag dude i can never get enough of gold of oldman i mean he's one of my favorite actors i just i he, just love and, watching and him. i'm just throwing this out there earlier i was talking to you about my love for black ops call of duty black yes. ops he is one of the major characters like gary oh, oldman himself voiced reznov in both world at war and black ops one all right all right okay i'm getting more sold <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so we got uh we got Gary Oldman in there and um then, then you know, we they blow up right, they well they blow up you know that ship the uh the humans we salvage it and we find a case with a glove and part of a bone and we have this awesome future tech machine that molecularly reassembles this being. And this being is the most perfect being that has ever been made. And that is our, our heroine, mm-hmm. uh, played by uh, Milia Jovich. Do you think that she's supposed to be divine when they talk about the perfect being? Are we? I mean, is, is there just like the slight bit of... Um, like a god? Yeah, I mean, maybe not quite, but kind of. I mean, the perfect being, and like she can stop giant evils. I mean, she's not just a standard. Person. I would, yeah, I don't know if they were tapping into something that was supposed to be more like of reference to like the angels. Mm, oh, okay, sure. Um, she doesn't seem I don't see her as like a god maybe yeah something more like Thor uh-huh. maybe a demigod like some okay. a god that could die but not a true god that's like theologically bigger than anything like okay. the evil is um cuz those themes are real big in this movie like, yeah you know, like yeah the the old man you know, representing all these, the corporate greed and so much so that he's willing to sacrifice. Does he not recognize? His entire race. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything. Like, dude, you, you can't spend money on an earth that's gone. I don't know what your plan is, but. Oof. Yeah. So they reassemble 
Mila Jolovich's character, who's Lilu, and she speaks a language, which is a, a made-up language. It's loosely based on Latin, but it's actually something that Jean-Luc Besson actually created for the movie. He wanted it to be totally different, and he worked with Mila Jolovich to make it seamless, and that's probably how they ended up you know, falling in love for a bit, and they were, yeah, they were together for a couple years uh, during and after this. Anyway, um, she escapes the bio lab after she has a freak out, and um, <laughs> she comes crashing into the flying taxi cab of one Corbin Dallas, um, who's played by Bruce Willis, and the he's hero. He's he's our reluctant hero. He was a major in some sort of special forces for the United Federal Territories. Some kind of a badass, and <laughs> he's retired as a taxi driver in a crappy apartment. And there's uh, there's some great comedy bits where, and this is a reoccurring gag in the movie where his mom calls, and she's like a real. <laughs> um, would you call a real doting kind of mom that calls and harasses him on the phone? Yeah, like, all like, about the guilt trip. Me. Yeah, super <laughs> yeah. guilt trippy. Uh, and uh, one of the things, that, and at the time when this movie came out, this made me laugh hard. At the time, I was a smoker, but the whole like um, four cigarettes a day, you're yeah. on your way to quit gag, and the cigarettes at the time in the movie, they're a standard length cigarette. But three quarters of it is a filter. There's mm -hmm. only like a quarter of it actually has tobacco, which is the opposite of of uh, cigarettes at the time in 1997. I don't know what they are now. I quit over 10 years ago. Um, I took a note on that, too. I thought that that cigarette machine was another little retro future thing, you know, like looking at that little dispenser was very retro future. Yeah, you know, it is. There's a lot of cool. There's a lot of analog tech and i mean to be fair are we ever going to be able to predict future tech in a way that the future actually evolves maybe i don't know but there's definitely a lot of movies where we were setting it way in a future where we were still using a lot of really old analog tech and so the yeah. the tech itself fits with our theme yeah 100 i mean there's uh there's a scene later on where they're oh the scene where they're trying to fire missiles at the uh, evil entity before they give up uh -huh. and it's all CRT screens and yep. like <laughs> old like Amiga one twenty eight computer graphics like you know it's 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 some old school. Um, the movie itself is mostly practical effects. They don't use a lot of uh, CG hadn't hadn't quite blown up. Um, at the time, even though Jurassic Park had already been out, but I think it was still very expensive. I think the first movie that got mainstream CG like popular was was probably a tie between Matrix and and the original uh, Episode One Phantom Menace. Yeah. Right, that's when CG really started to hit movies, and that wouldn't happen for another two years. I would guess that a lot of the ships in the film were still models. Or yeah. you know, there was a lot of stuff that still looked like hand drawn. Like it's not, a lot of it looks still look like uh, matte paintings and things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was still really good. I mean, there's a there's a point where that stuff looks better sometimes. Or there's like I this, think they you know, used feel to it. Yeah, I think they used CG for the flying cars in the cities. 
just because there was a lot of them. Yeah, good point. If you really pay attention to it, you can tell because then it, it's early CG. They the cars all kind of fly like in these perfect squadrons. They <laughs> they're all flat shaded and just like zero. No, just the way they move. They're not. They're not. Um, they're not all individual. It's like groups. It's like lines oh, of them all kind of flying together, kind of mm. like sixteen bit parallax scrolling yeah. video game graphics kind of a thing because huh. um, that's just the tech that we had at the time um let's see so so lilu meets dallas he's our reluctant hero you know and at first you know the cops come they pull him over and they're trying to get the girl back and at first he's gonna let her go because he's trying to live a normal life yeah i think that's all he was trying to do and then he realizes she really needs help she reads the uh the like hunger feed the hungry children ad in the cab yeah. that says please help and that's she mimics it she learns english really fast so she says please help and he feels sorry for it and in a way you can see that's i don't know if it's meant to be part of her charm his maybe she was his type but he falls for her right away mm-hmm. he, he he falls head head over heels for her. Um, you know he helps her out, and then they go and find he uh, he finds um, Vito Cornelius, Ian Holmes' character, who is the the priest who's been passed down the information about the ultimate warrior that's going to defend earth. And then of course we get involved with, um, Zorg. And those scenes, I think are those, is that where they start cutting? They have some really great creative cuts between, uh, she's, he's looking for the stones on not one, not two, but yeah. And then she's left four stones. And these, there's those really great creative kind of like cuts between, where the audio kind of uh, overlaps and it's almost like the conversation is happening between the two of them or that they're actually in the same scene together. I just really like that style. I don't know who invented it or who pioneered it, but I really enjoy no, those, that. Those kind of interchanging cuts. Yeah. Cause actors, he opens it yeah. up and she's laughing. He opens up the case and she's like giggling cause she knows it's empty, but I just, I really enjoyed those. There's a couple different instances in the whole movie that of those cool cuts. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. So, you know, they recognize her as the fifth element. And she says the stones weren't on the ship. And the Mondo Shawans informed the stones were entrusted to an alien opera singer, the diva. The diva. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm probably going to butcher this. <laughs> Plava Laguna. And then uh, Zorg manipulates the Mangalores. Those are those ugly guys. Oh, Mangalores, yeah. For failing to ob- obtain the stones. And that's where he, he kills one of them. <laughs> right, with his crazy smart gun. Um and I, I feel like the guys that make the Borderlands games, they were 
for Borderlands 3, there's a gun. There's a couple guns by the Atlas Corp that function just like that gun. Your first bullet hits the target, and then you can run anywhere and pull the trigger oh, and all the other bullets awesome. go to that target because it's a smart weapon. Um, I was, <laughs> when I was watching Fifth Element, I was like, oh, man, this has got to be where the Borderlands guys got this from. Um, so then the military comes to Dallas and tell him, you know, we have a mission. We need you to go. And they rig a radio contest to get him on the show. And then um, it's funny because Cornelius comes by uh, Dallas's apartment and uh, knocks him out, steals the tickets. And that's a whole, there's a whole comedic scene where they're all trying to be Corbin Dallas, right? <laughs> yeah, David. Yeah, David Cornelius's apprentice is trying to be Dallas. One of the Mangalores is trying to be Dallas, and it all it all goes to crap. But the real Dallas gets on the ship with Lilu, and uh, that's where we meet Ruby Rod, who's played by Chris Tucker, and that's a great role. He was just kind of coming up at the time, and he's hilarious in the movie. He's like a weird future Prince Lenny Kravitz superstar. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like the epitome of a megastar. You know, I was originally, like, I got to be honest, when I first saw it, I, I didn't like the character. He kind of drove me crazy. And as I got older, I really started to enjoy him more, which is kind of weird. You would have thought that at a younger age, like, maybe I would have been more drawn to him. But <laughs> the character got more and more just hilarious to me as time yeah. went on. And um, I don't remember where I saw this, heard this, or maybe someone else just mentioned it. But talk about something that's uh, tied or rather kind of like foreshadowed modern um, streaming and influencers. Like this guy's like constantly oh, broadcasting, yeah, no, for sure. right? Yeah, because he's, yeah, he's like, that's right. He's like narrating his yeah. life and his scenes and he's got fans that are like listening to it 24 mm-hmm. seven. Holy crap. I didn't even, I think I sort of noticed that on this viewing and that's maybe another, uh, speaking of Borderlands 3, that may be another influence on the designers <gasps> of Borderlands right. 3 because there's that whole aspect of that storyline too. That's crazy. Yeah. You yeah, know Prince yeah. was supposed to do that role? That makes sense. Was also, I guess, approached him, I guess, I guess Jamie Foxx was also approached oh, really? to do that role too. Yeah. I mean, I think either of those guys would have been good, but man, Chris Tucker really, he really nails that, dude. He does. <laughs> when he's like, like that, oh, dude. I oh, think from the beginning, I was like, this character's hilarious. I mean, he's annoying, but he's hilarious. Oh, yeah, so you're more in touch then with the comedy because at first he was just annoying to me and he became hilarious to me. Yeah. Oh, freaking brilliant. What a performance. Yep. So um, let's see. During so they go on this giant cruise ship, and then during the cruise, the Mangalore attacks and they kill the opera singer. But Dallas gets the stones from her body. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just laughing, thinking about Ruby Rod with his gun to the guy's head, and he's like, Oh, yes, yeah, he's like so freaked out. Yeah, he doesn't even know what to do. Dude, there's, there, you know what, we, we kind of jumped ahead, but there's a great scene early on uh, when we first meet Dallas. He's in his apartment. He's just trying to go to work. Yeah. And he goes to open his door. He looks oh, at the window dude. and he opens the door. And then 
all of a sudden the image flips and it's like a guy wearing a hat that looks just like his hallway, like a fake image. And the guy's trying to rob him at gunpoint. And he's obviously a new criminal. And Corbin Dallas isn't even worried about it. He's telling the guy, he's like, uh, yeah, you got to you gotta let go of the safety, buddy. You got to push this button. And the guy, I mean, the guy's like in the cold sweat. He's like, no, give me your money, give me your money. And then he pulls the gun away from the guy. And this little bin drops down in his apartment and he's got piles and piles of firearms. Like, yeah. it's like, it's absurd. And he just throws a pile in there and sends the kid on his way. <laughs> but there's a lot oh of gosh. throwaway gags like that in the movie. And I think a lot of that comes from the uh, heavy metal or metal Herlant yeah. comic influence. Um, but so there's a scene, there's, a, there's, I was just saying that because later on, obviously Corbin Dallas is, he's not scared of anything or those guys at all. No, um, but Lilu gets Lilu gets wounded uh, during that whole escapade, and Dallas has to go look for her. When he finds her, she's wounded, and they're, meanwhile they're trying to get to Earth because now the eminent evil is coming to Earth, and we have limited time to stop it. And you know, we get the stones to the temple that's in a pyramid on Earth, the same one that we saw in the beginning of the movie that was in 1914. And first they have to figure out the puzzle of the stones. They figure that out. You know, they have to make wind for the wind stone, fire for the fire stone, water for the water stone, and dirt for the earth stone. And then our final element, the fifth element is Lilu herself, but she is like, she's like in shock. She's like in a PTSD mm -hmm. sort of state. And the line that she says is, this is like the big theme in the movie. And this is yeah. to me why why this movie is retro future and she talks about why should i save you when you are always killing each other when you you know basically i'm trying to find the exact i thought i had it in my notes her exact quotes uh You know, she's she's hesitant to save us. And she says, why should I save you when all you do is blow each other up? Mm -hmm. When she's learning English, there's that scene where she's going through the alphabet and she hits W. And she hits, hits the, the word war. war. And boom, you just see pictures of World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam. And then, like, you know, they they added in some other Cold War era pictures and just tons of pictures of war and then she sees that mushroom cloud i think is like the right yeah like really that's seals the, the yeah, deal yeah yeah she yeah. that really freaks her out so a lot of those retro futurist messages are scattered throughout like even in the uh spaceport there, it looks like there's like just garbage everywhere like but it's like kind of sort of contained the city uh where corbin lives is like a huge sprawling huge sprawling metropolis that's like New York on steroids. It's very much like 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 Los Angeles and Blade Runner. It's a yeah. huge sprawling city with tons of flying cars or uh Coruscant from yes, Star Wars episode yes. two. The further down you go into the city, like when you the drop out with Rachel, the dirtier and grosser right. it is. Yeah, all that stuff is just really like right on front street. And one of the things I noticed, and I, this might be just my like projecting a little bit, is um, which is kind of retroy, which is now, especially in light of like our our more progressive minds now. But all of the um, 
the service women look kind of like anyone who's like in like that position they they all look like bombshell dressed like from like the the 30s 40s like bombshells like the the mcdonald's outfits the stewardess outfits and i don't know whether that was him not recognize whether he was like paying homage to those old-fashioned views or whether he, i'm not sure but it was it kind of yeah. stood out now i was like wow that's right. really really not very uh progressive like seeing all these people dressed like that um but i don't know i don't know i'd have to ask him because i mean he was raised a lot like in the olden days and those older comics would have been kind of projecting that so maybe he didn't even realize he was putting that kind of thing in there but it was progressive in the fact that we had a a black president of the galaxy that was pretty impressive. Who was played by a wrestler? Yeah, like, <laughs> but I mean, that's that's pretty pretty ahead of its time stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a and a female lead. I mean, we had Bruce Willis the as the lead, but Mila Jovovich was really the lead hero character yeah. of the film. She really steals the the spotlight. I think had not bruce willis been in the movie it may not have been viewed by as many people in mm. the united states um yeah i know there were a few other people that that were in uh that were supposed to be corbin dallas i mean bruce willis was one of the first ones and he passed on it initially Ooh. and then they were going to get some other people and then later on I think um, mad max was on the table yeah mel gibson and I, mm-hmm. that would have been i don't I don't know if that would have worked. There's a. Um, I don't think you could deliver the comedy the same way. There's right. I was gonna say there's a charm, and there's a almost like holistic charm to Bruce Willis that you can believe that from him, like that he just comes across as like a really like all American kind of guy blue collar dude yeah he just really has that that working form in a way that i don't know if i would have bought with mel gibson as much um it may be colored from mad max lethal weapon um you know at the time bruce willis had just transitioned into film from doing tv series so he was not as not as colored by that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, you had Die Hard. He was, I mean. Still writing high off the Die Hard dollars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was the all-American, you know, Jack, anybody could be John McClane, really. <laughs> they were a well-trained cop that cared for their family. Yeah. <laughs> I think that worked uh, to his advantage for that character that we can all sort of relate. And, you know, he didn't come off as... Um, super macho or machismo or yeah like even like a super tough action hero of the time like stallone oh uh, yeah or or uh, any arnold's characters from that time period like he was a very it was a very european style hero mm-hmm. um and it, i think it worked in a way that i don't know if any other actor other than maybe an unknown or um Yeah, I think he. I think they really like nailed. He just nails that part in a way that I'm not sure that anybody else could have done as well as he yeah. did. Yeah. I didn't mean to derail you from from the the climax of the film though. Because oh right, yeah, you so, get all those elements together, and then so we get the elements perfect. 
we've got Dallas, we've got Lilu, she's wounded, and you know, she gives us what's the use of saving life when you see what you do with it line. Yes. And, you know, he, he says, but I need you. I love you. And he kisses her. And all of a sudden the fifth element really for all means and purpose is love. That's mm-hmm. what the fifth element is. And it's, it's, it's an undying kind of love. It's the kind of love that, that, that mothers have for their children that, you know, that we should all have for taking care of each other. And that's yeah. what stops this evil thing. And that's then there's a great message. comedy segue later where <laughs> the president wants to thank them. And they're in the, uh, they're back in that medical facility where Lily was first rebuilt and the doctor's like, well, let me see. And he opens it up and they're making love in there. He's like, Oh, they need about five minutes. <laughs> and then again, Corbin Dallas's mom calls and talks yeah. and the president wants to talk to her. And she's like, you don't sound anything. You don't sound anything like him. You're too now. He's an idiot. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like going <laughs> off and he just hands the phone to somebody else and they hand the phone to somebody else and they hand the phone to somebody else. Um, one of the other cool, like, uh, things that I, I forgot is the actor that played, uh, Leon from Blade Runner is mm-hmm. one of the military majors in uh, Fifth Element. He's like the uh, NCO that comes for Dallas. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He gets just, put in the fridge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that whole gag was great. Oh. At first, it was a, a multiple viewings where I, I forgot. Like, because at first I was like, oh, sh- he's dead. They just He just froze this little little group that came to pick him up. But then you see them later in the film. They're like, oh, okay, they're okay. They're all right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so that's our story of the movie. And then um, I guess getting into Luke, Luke Besson's ideas and inspirations, I guess he was 16 when he wrote the original story, which is quite different. Um, he was 38 when the film opened. I think mm-hmm. like when he was 35 is when they started working on it. But um he got some of the guys that worked on the metal Herlon heavy metal magazine in France to do the art. One of, one of them is one of my favorite artists, uh, Jean Mobius Girard, mm-hmm. and then Jean-Claude, I'm going to mess this up. I can't even say this. I'm just going to say, I'm going to say it, but it's, I know it's not right. Okay. <laughs> Maziris, not sure. Um, and then the costume designs were another. This was a, almost an entire French production. The cinematographer was mm-hmm. French. Luc Besson was French. It was it was the biggest European movie for like twenty years. Some what? action comedy dethroned it um, a few years back, but huh. yeah. Um, and it and like we talked about earlier, it's just a it's just a fun, it's just a really fun movie. Yeah. Um, it's like that spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. Like if you want to just enjoy it on the surface of just being a sci-fi explosive, um, you know, flick and a fun romp, it is. But it, there there are some really strong messages in there. I don't think he's delivering them heavy, heavy-handedly or in any way that's like kind of like preachy. But there's there's some message there. Yeah, there's a um... – it was definitely at the time noted for exploring the themes of political corruption mm-hmm. um, by a few filmmakers um, in the story of just, you know, 
Love Conquers All, that uh, it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from Jimi Hendrix. He says, "When the power of love is greater than the love of power. Yes, it's a great quote. You know, um, I think about that quote all the time. And you and I had, uh, we've got some notes from our Discord discussion Um you know, the cars, the flying cars were very retro style. And I think some of that coming back to your discussion about the the female outfits, uh-huh. I think that was maybe almost intentionally a very 50s, 40s and 50s style thing. Because even the cars, the cop cars, and even his taxi, they were like yeah. very 40s, late 40s, early 50s style cars, but they were flying cars, they flew. right? Yeah. And the <laughs> ship they fly in into space was a very like 40s, Almost like the style that George Lucas used for the prequel movies for the planes and stuff, mm-hmm. that 40s, like, silver tone, uh-huh. you know, because that's the tech we had at the time. <laughs> but it makes it makes for a lot of fun. And and that's why I feel like The Fifth Element is, is a retrofuturist movie. It is definitely inspired um, in retrofuturist ways. And this story about that we should love each other and not blow each other to kingdom come <laughs> is the main theme of the movie. I yeah. mean, and that, that Bruce Willis has is an incredible kisser. <laughs> I think I'm going to, you know, I've never that. kissed him personally, Mitch. I'm going <laughs> to take your word for that. Um, well, I'm just saying like, well, you know, that's the, with Lilu in the that middle. Kiss of it, at the end's pretty, it's, it's pretty, pretty good. good. It's a, and that's very, uh, <laughs> that's funny. You said that's a very like almost like Casablanca kind right? of ending that they pull there. Even with the freeze frame kind of, it's yeah, good. It does yeah, have, like, yeah. You know, I didn't vibe. even think of that until you brought that up. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, we've got, you know, Gary Oldman's Zorg, he's the corporate bastard that just, he has all the money, but he needs more. So yeah. he's going to screw over everybody to and get more money for what? Like, and I mean, honestly, sometimes when I look at the news, that's what runs to my head. Why? Why, why the fuck? Why? What do you need all this money for? I think one of the greatest messages there too is when he chokes on the cherry. It's like, you've got all the power, you've got all this money, but just this little thing and you can die. You, I mean, you're, you, yeah. you aren't more powerful than death. This little thing could bring an end to you. A cherry. Life is, fragile. is precious, precious. And the littlest thing can take you out in a minute. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's better to live a life where you're, you respect people. You're kind to people. Yeah. You know, share your passions with people. You're not tearing down people and yeah. build, don't um, destroy. Build people up. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like of this movie. It's a, it's a fun movie to watch. It's just a great romp. And uh, if you have you've listened this far and you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, <laughs> we've just spoiled everything. But you should go watch the movie anyway because it's a hell of a good time. So quotable. Like, I, um, can't, I just looked like it up. It's, <laughs> it's streaming on Hulu right now. Oh, so if cool. you have Hulu, it's on there. Um, if you don't have Hulu, I recommend picking up the newer 4K disc with the Atmos soundtrack. And if you can't find that, the second version Blu-ray that has the Dolby True HD has just as good of a uh, soundtrack. Uh, it's just not an Atmos. Um yeah, man, you got anything else you wanted to throw out about? I just want to. I just want to ask you real quick because it's one of those uh, revelations that it came to later, kind of like the the Indiana Jones revelation right. in Raiders. Like, oh, Indy doesn't really impact the outcome of the story, 
And I'm like, wow, that's pretty heavy. But in this one, I didn't realize until later that the heroes don't, or I guess, no, I guess Mila does, but um, Bruce Willis never cross crosses paths with Zorg. They never No, meet. yeah, and that's yeah, exactly. It's hilarious. Zor <laughs> I forgot all about that because they're trying to get out of the cruise ship. Zorg has he had planted his bomb earlier. He uh-huh. goes and disarms it. He's trying to find the stones because he thought he had the stones in the case, but he didn't, and he's all pissed off. <laughs> and the cruise liner's gonna blow up and Dallas and Lilu they're escaping with the priest and they find a ship in the hangar and it's Zorg's ship. They steal a ship in Dallas being ex special forces. Of course he can fly it. Knows how to fly it. And they fly away. And all of a sudden Zorg, he screwed over the uh, evil aliens so much that they pulled a bomb and blew up the whole thing and killed Zorg with him. <laughs> yeah. Good. So son. his own greed killed him Yeah. in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, they don't actually ever cross paths in the movie. It, it, I mean, and honestly, Dallas doesn't do all that much as far as uh he takes out a few guys in the right in the opera scene or right mm-hmm. after that opera scene and that's about it. Like he and doesn't He does some good negotiating. Yeah, he does some good negotiating. Anybody else yeah. want to negotiate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean most of his action scenes are are flying the vehicle. Yeah. Delivering some great one-liners, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I forgot all about that. And but yeah, fun time, man. There's a lot of little comedy bits that run through the movie. Um, I still feel like it's it's a two-hour movie, and there's a couple parts I feel like I feel like you could probably cut ten minutes out of the movie and make it a little leaner. Yeah, little lean. There's a couple meandering bits that I feel like, yeah, I you know. <clears throat> Um, but that being said in its current state, it's a, it's a great viewing and there's a lot, there's a lot to, uh, take in there and it's definitely a lot of fun. It visually still holds up really well. The movies that were made with pure practical effects, the lighting still holds up so well. I mean, there's a couple bits, uh, even for the time, I think there were a couple bits. You can tell that some of the costumes were a little low budget, but I almost yeah. think that was part of the shtick. Yeah. I really feel like he almost was going for that a little bit because, um, but, but it's still, I still feel like it holds up really well and it's a lot of fun and it's visually very representative of its, of its inspired source of the, of the French metal hurlant, what was translated as the heavy metal magazines here in the United mm-hmm. States, um, which was later owned in the U.S. by Kevin Eastman, who co-created the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. Whoa. Fact of the episode. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I have a bunch of useless data in my head, so sometimes I got to spit it out. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I'm so glad you came on so we could talk about this movie. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I think the theme fits our retro future. And... Uh, I was really glad that you brought it up because I honestly, this wasn't even really on my radar for early episodes, but when you said it, I was like, Oh yes, dude, that's perfect. This is great. Well, thanks for doing it, man. Thanks for having me on. I think that the uh, film has good messages, especially for the world we're living in right now. Love man. Be kind to each other. Be kind. Be good. Yeah. I think, and especially right now, the world is, is, is 
we're on like a tight wire. I feel yeah. like yeah. <laughs> at any moment we could, at any moment we could shift into something like world war two. I feel like uh, that's, that's how I feel like it is right now. It's kind of scary, but let's not end it on that note. Let's end it on the note of good friends, good beverages. Yes. Um, good fun with the, uh, speaking of retro future, uh, we're probably going to do a crossover episode with the ruminations radio network about the newly released cyberpunk 2077 game. That's going to be a ruminations radio network crossover episode. Awesome. I can't wait. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the retro futures podcast. Thank you to my guest tonight the wonderful illustrious magnificent cyber mitch he is he is quite the gentleman and the scholar and i look forward to every conversation i have with this guy he has taught me more than he'll probably ever know about how to be a cool person uh retro futures culture is riding out looking forward to talking to you guys more in future episodes we're going to get into some more cyberpunk topics, including the game, but we're also going to be exploring some stuff. I got an anime-themed episode coming up soon about the classic cyberpunk anime. It rhymes with most and Mel's, <laughs> and you're going to want to make sure you check out that episode when it goes live. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. And make sure you check out other episodes on the Ruminations Radio Network. We got tons of great content coming. It's it's a good time. Check us out. Peace.